All right, so like I said earlier, we're going to be in Mark 14. If you need a Bible, we got a few up here. Um, <laughs> but if not, the uh, words will be on the screen. I will admit that I think one of the greatest hindrances of the past, I guess, however long alarm clocks have existed, is the invention of the snooze button. And there's a, a period of several months where I was just this slave to the snooze button, and I was hitting it probably four times every morning. And I, to, the, to my knowledge, it might just be an iPhone thing. It might be for, for other phones as well. Uh, but for an iPhone, if you hit the snooze button, that's nine extra minutes of rest, sleep, whatever you want to do it. So if you do that four or five times, that's over 35 minutes every day. And if you start doing that every day, seven days a week, that really starts to add up. Now, back when I was in college, I had this horrible system that I don't know how it worked, but somehow it did. I would get a shower the night before. I'd set out my clothes, have my bag packed, uh, and then I would stay up until 3 in the morning playing Call of Duty. And then I would wake up for my 8.15 class at 8 in the morning. And I would you know, get dressed, and I was somehow never late. I know I looked like I was homeless, but that was okay. Uh, I wasn't trying to please anybody my freshman year of college, I guess. So uh, uh, I, I bring all of this up because it is time for us as the church to wake up. It's time for us to act. It's time for us to renew our devotion to our Lord and Savior. And I, I felt just such a pressing on of, by the Holy Spirit of, of just, I, I need to do more for the kingdom of God. And I've been uh, reading some of some of my old some old preachers and some of the things that they've done like John Owen, Martin Lloyd Jones, Charles Simeon, all of these amazing men of God, and I've I've read all about these things that they've been doing, and I'm like, yes, that is what I would love to see in my life today. And I think the problem is, is that I've kind of fallen into this trap of if I go to church on Sundays, if I read my Bible every morning, if I uh, tell kids about Jesus on Wednesday, I'm all set. Now, the problem with that is that I've convinced myself that I'm being pushed to the absolute limit of what I am able to do, and therefore, I'm off the hook for anything else that might come up in the week or anything else that might glorify my Savior. So trust me when I say this. When I was writing this lesson, I was writing to me with the hopes that other people could, could take it and run with it. That makes sense. And so these are things that, that I need to hear, that I have felt such a, a, a weight to, to, to hear. And so I, I was just wondering, you know, God, as I was preparing to this message, you know, what should I do? And I just kind of kept coming back to this moment that we're about to read of Jesus in the garden and just Jesus going to his disciples and, and basically just saying, wake up. And so I come back to this moment and I knew that this is what I needed to hear. So I'm one of the people, I'm, I'm, I, I like to plan out scenarios in my head, I guess, where I say, I tell myself, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to say this here, and I'm going to tell someone about Jesus at this point. And then I get to that point and I never do it. If I believe what the Bible says about the lost, why am I not doing more? Did you know that in 24 hours, 150,000 people die every day? And only a small fraction of them know about Jesus. How can I not lose sleep over, let's cut that in half and say there's 75,000 people in the night that die while I'm asleep. How do I not losing sleep over, over most of them not knowing about Jesus? 
I know hell is real, and I feel like I'm not doing anything. So I really do believe it when I say that, that you and I need to wake up. We need to do something. We need to break out of that, that feeling of what is comfortable and, and safe. And we have to ask this question, how much of what we do sounds Christian and how much of what we actually do is Christ-like? So in Mark 14, 32 through 42, this is what we read. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So what I want us to do is kind of, we're going to take a field trip, and I want us to place ourselves in this moment. Imagine that you have spent three and a half years following Jesus, being his best friend, and he tells you, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. But while we are there, I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross. And I'm going there with the purpose. I am going there so that I might pay the price for your sin. The wrath of God will be poured out on me in full so that you might live. You guys have Passover together and he tells you that even though all seems bleak and hopeless, that God is at work, that God is still in control. And so in these, these final moments after dinner, Christ, he comes up to you and he says, what I am about to face has overwhelmed my very soul and I would like you to come and pray with me so that I might not lose heart. Here you are in this private moment. The God of the universe has come to you and says, I am shaken to the core about what I am about to face. Would you pray for me? Will you be there with me? Don't you like to think that we would jump at that opportunity to have that, that moment where God says, can you come and pray for me? To be one of only three people that got to share in that moment where we see his heart and his humanity poured out. I'm sure most of us would love to be there. and We would say, I'm here, Jesus, whatever you need. Here we see the Savior of the world crying out to his heavenly Father, God, if it is possible, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. A few months back, I shared this, this very moment in the book of Luke, and it's in the gospel of Luke where we see that uh, Jesus is so overwhelmed that the Father sends an angel to him to strengthen him. But that only does so much because just after the angel leaves is when Jesus starts sweating blood. We know that he's not afraid of the soldiers. He's not afraid of the rulers or the Pharisees. He's not even afraid of the cross or death. It's the full force of God's holy wrath and hatred towards your sin and my sin that has him terrified. 
Jesus is at work in the garden. He's at war. And I really do believe that this is one of the greatest battles of spiritual warfare that there ever was, and it is taking place here in the garden. Here in the garden, we see the Son of God pouring out his soul to his heavenly Father. He's asked you that you would come with him, one of his closest friends and followers, so that you could pray with him. But what is it that you are doing while you are there? Not praying, you're asleep. How can we sleep when something like that is happening only a stone's throw away? The gates of hell have been storming against the Savior, and we are just resting our eyes. Now, we would be very foolish to assume that in this moment in the garden, that Satan is just standing back doing nothing. I really do think that in this moment, Satan is there and says, hey, look back to that moment in Matthew 4, which I'm assuming he probably didn't recall it Matthew 4, but look back to this moment in the desert. I gave you a way out. They are not worth it. They are asleep. Look at them. How could you invite these so-called closest friends of yours to this moment and, and look what they're doing? There is a way out of this, and it doesn't involve the cross. All too often, I think we look at people in the Bible and we say, I would not act like them. But the reality is that we are not any better than they are. There's no reason for me to think that if I was there, I would not be sleeping and right along with the other disciples. We see Christ is at work, but his followers are sleeping through the fight. Now, we know that Christ has not come back yet, so there is still work to be done. Christ did not rise from the dead and is now taking the rest of eternity off. He's active. He's working. In John 5, 17, Jesus answers the crowd and he says, My father is working until now and I am working. At this very moment, Christ is interceding on your behalf. He's upholding the universe and he is reigning at the right hand of God. God is doing probably five billion things right now in this moment. And we might be aware of about four or five of them. And the thing with that is, is that, is that we are just so unaware of the majesty of God and how much he loves us and how much he continues to, to uphold all that is going on. And I like how at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 that Luke says that in his gospel he wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Now this is Luke's way of saying, hey, if, if you got to the end of the gospel of Luke and you thought, how are these uh, little disciples that seemed really afraid and cowardly and sleeping not that long ago, how will the gospel continue? And Luke says, well, it's pretty simple because it's the work of Jesus that is continuing. Christ is continuing the work. Our Lord has not stopped working, so why do we feel that we do not have to work? Are we a church that is awake and active and moving? And I love this quote by Leonard Ravenhill. He was a pastor who seemed to know revival better than probably anybody else. He said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. So I don't want you to misinterpret here. I love this church so much. Like Paul says, this is the joy and crown of my life. I have seen so many amazing things that this church is doing for the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying that we have not done anything or are not doing anything. But what I'm asking is this, are you and I doing all that we can to not just advertise this church, are we doing all that we can to where people look at us and they say, oh yeah, there's a Christian. That is one of them. And so when I, back in the olden days, when I would take uh, students out for youth group trips, you know, back uh, 30, 40 years ago, before we all shut down, 
Um, I would always tell them, you know, if we were going to uh, like Six Flags or if we were going to Snowflex, something like that, I, I don't necessarily care how you represent me. I don't even care how you represent uh, the building of the church, but I care greatly how you represent the God that we are representing while we are there. And so if we are more known for our allegiance to a specific uh, person or agenda or political party or anything like that, then we are for the king of the universe. We have a problem. Right now, our heavenly father is working. Are we working alongside him? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 24, that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If Christ does not get to rest in the heat of the battle, what makes us think that we will be able to? So are we sleepy Christians? Is our greatest desire to serve our Lord and do all that we can for his glory? Or have we fallen asleep to the majesty of serving our king? The very last thing that we need in this world is for, for Christians to take a passive and just lazy approach to the rest of their lives, to be uninvolved. We need to boldly stand out for the Lord. And Paul says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Is your aim in life to please the one that has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If we are to share in the sufferings of Jesus, there is hardly a greater suffering than that which he experiences here in Mark 14 and Mark 15. If this is the extent that Christ is willing to go for you, what extent are you willing to go for him? The very last thing that I want to hear on the day that I get to heaven is, oh good, you're finally awake. That you're finally up and realizing what this is all about. Well, we need our Christians that are willing to go through the agony of the garden now so that others may rejoice in the power of the resurrection later. Remember, right now, we as Christians, we're living in what theologians call the already but not yet. We've already been justified in the eyes of God, but we do not get to fully take part in all the rewards that the Lord has in store for those that are his. So all we really need to ask is, where is our joy what is the joy of our Christianity? I remember as a kid that, that my Christmas Eve morphed into Christmas morning because I was so excited for Christmas morning and I didn't go to sleep. But we know that the Lord says, behold, I'm coming soon. And do we act as if that is any big deal at all? It's time for us to be the church, to rouse the sleeping world and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Charles Spurgeon back... Uh, one of my favorite stories, he was testing out the acoustics in his old uh, church building, or I think it was the new church building that was coming up, and there was a worker who was working in the building, and Spurgeon just kind of testing out what the acoustics were like. All he says is, behold the Lamb of God. And the worker, not necessarily in that moment, was so intrigued by this concept that he became a Christian like a day or two later, just from these few simple words. In order for us to arouse the sleeping world, a world that is lost in their sin and shame, we as the church need to wake up first. Notice that Christ comes to his disciples three times and tells them to wake up. And it is only after the third time that they're finally awake, that Judas arrives, that the plan of God continues to move forward. How many times does God have to tell us to do something before we have the sense to do it? And how many times is he going to ask before he just stops? 
A.W. Tozer, he wrote, I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present lowest state. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Going back to verse 37, Christ comes to Peter and he says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Now, one hour doesn't seem very long, right? Unless you're Benji and dad's preaching, then hours a pretty long time. Uh, one hour doesn't seem that long. You got 23 extra ones in the day. So if I was to ask you to do something pretty, pretty simple, and I was like, hey, it's only going to take an hour. Uh, I'm sure probably a lot of you, unless you had something else going on, would say, yeah, sure, it's only an hour. I've got uh, other ones in the day that I can get to. It's not really asking all that much, but in the grand scheme of things, we know that time is short, isn't it? Sometimes we really do not have as much time as we would like. Some of you have lost friends or family or, or just uh, pets even, where one extra hour would have made all the difference, right? In this verse, Christ is reminding us that time is precious, time is short. And I believe, really, that in the grand scheme of eternity, uh, it's only going to feel like we were here for an hour. Like, it's really not going to feel that long. So in this verse, Christ is reminding us of that, that preciousness of time, that time is short. He's saying, could you not watch for one hour? Could you not do, in the short time that you've been given, this one thing? We are given a few short years on this earth, and none of them are actually guaranteed. So shouldn't that motivate us to share the gospel? See, we cannot afford to be sleepy Christians, and the lost cannot afford for us to be asleep any longer. Going back to Spurgeon, he said that, Sleepy Christian, let me shout in your ears. You are sleeping while souls are being lost, sleeping while men are being damned, sleeping while hell is being peopled, sleeping while Christ is being dishonored, sleeping while the devil is grinning at your sleepy face, sleeping while demons are dancing around your slumbering carcass and telling it in hell that a Christian is asleep. You will never catch the devil asleep. Let not the devil catch you asleep. Watch and be sober that you may be always up to do your duty. I shared before how uh, William Carey, before he went to, uh, his, his, I believe, in India, uh, he told the, the group that was supporting him that he would go into the mine as long as there was someone there to hold the rope. We as Christians have, this, have two options of what we can do in our lives. We can either go or we can support those that are going. Either way, our faith should cost us something. Show us your scars. Show us that you are awake. And Jonathan Edwards, he once asked, how can you expect to dwell with God forever if you so neglect him and forsake him here? So I like to think that Peter, he held on to this moment for the rest of his life. And I think the concept of time changed for him after this moment. He realized that time is short and that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Towards the end of his life, he wrote this. He said, But do not overlook one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter realized in the grand scheme of, this grand scheme of eternity that life and time is very short. Life is a blink-and-you-miss-it sort of thing, uh, in the grand scheme of eternity. 
I think in a way, Peter's saying, guys, we know that the Lord is coming back and he's coming back soon. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it could be a million years from now. We don't know when, but we do know that there are lost people out there that need to come home, that the Lord desires to come home. We need to get to work because in a moment that it all could be gone. And so I know that some of this might sound discouraging, but my hope is, is that it opens our eyes to what the Lord has called each and every one of us to do. My hope is that we realize that we have to take seriously what the Lord has called us to do and realize that time is short. So I want to encourage both Christians and, and unbelievers in, in two ways. So believe, or believers first, remember you're standing before the Lord and your justification is not based on anything that you do. Your salvation is based on faith and not by works. The only works that save are the works of Jesus Christ. If you have truly placed your faith in Christ, that faith saves you. Your own righteousness, my own righteousness, will not get me one inch closer to heaven, but I know that Christ paid the debt that I owed. When I say that we as Christians need to wake up and get into the fight, I want us to reflect on all that God has already done for us. I want us to think of the great love that he has for us that has, has extended beyond time, and that love is the motivator to serve him in any way that we can. John Stott, he said that God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us. Does Christ's love inspire you to love him? The Apostle John said that we love because he first loved us. Something that has encouraged me is that when it comes to living out the gospel and sharing its truth, is that God will accomplish all that he wants to accomplish. God's word will accomplish all that it intends for his purposes. I think back uh, to Isaiah in the call of Isaiah, and God gives Isaiah this message, and Isaiah basically says, well, how long should I preach this message? What's going to be the result of the message? And God says, you're going to preach this till there's basically nothing left. And maybe to Isaiah it sounds like, well, if there's nothing left, then that must mean that this didn't really work out and that this didn't accomplish what it was supposed to. But no, it accomplishes everything that God has called it to accomplish. So if we faithfully preach the gospel, this means that, that we are not relying on ourselves for the results, but we are trusting God to deliver the results that only he can provide. All we need to do as believers is be faithful and trust the Lord to bring about the results. Kevin DeYoung said, so the end of the matter is this, live for God, obey the scriptures, think of others before yourself, be holy and love Jesus. Do you understand that any rejection that you might face when it comes to sharing the gospel is not a rejection of you. It's a rejection of God. God does not call me or you to change anyone from the inside out. All he does is he calls us to be faithful and to trust him to do the things that only he can do. We need to be faithful. We need to be ready for action to tell others about all that Christ has done in our lives and what he can do in their lives. And we trust him to move. God does amazing things when we are awake to see them and he does amazing things even when we are sleeping. And I just hope that we are encouraged to want to see them while we are awake. Did you know that in 1806, there was a thunderstorm in Williamstown, Massachusetts that forced five young Christians to uh, find shelter under a haystack. And while they were there, they had a pretty, what is now a pretty famous prayer meeting. It was during that prayer meeting, these five men started to feel a desire to reach the people of Asia with the gospel. 
And within four years of that meeting, they established the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. Six years after that meeting, they sent their first group of missionaries to India, and one of those missionaries was Adoniram Judson. Judson would spend the rest of his life serving the people of Burma, and by the time of his death, he had planted over 100 churches and saw over 8,000 Burmese people come to faith in Christ. And who knows how many countless other people came to faith as a result of the, the people that Judson had impacted during his lifetime. All of this happened because five people came together during a thunderstorm and prayed that God would move. And God changed the course of history because of those people. Imagine what happens when the entire church comes together and prays that God would be glorified in the world. God works in miraculous ways and he's going to continue to do so. All that we can do is be faithful to the work that he has given to us. We might not be able to reach thousands like Judson had, but we can all do something to reach someone. So my challenge for, for us as believers today is just find one person. Find one person that you can share the gospel with. And, and maybe it's a friend, neighbor, or a loved one. Do all that you can to reach one and trust God for the results. But remember that time is short. Now, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet, I will encourage you in this way. Right now, you're here and you have breath in your lungs. There's time, but time is short. You can still come to Christ and he will not send you away. No one that has ever truly repented of their sins and come to Jesus has ever been rejected or turned away from him. I don't need to know everything that you've done because I know that God is faithful to forgive everything. John Owen, he said that all that may be known of God for our salvation, especially his wisdom, love, goodness, grace, and mercy, on which the life of our souls depends, are represented to us in all their splendor in and through Christ. No wonder then that Christ is glorious in the eyes of believers. I told uh, the kids, at the, I guess the last YC that we had, that, that the only thing I want in life for my students and for anyone that I come into contact with is that they would see Christ as infinitely glorious. He's offered himself to us, and while there's still time, we should go to him. So one last thing. We know that we as Christians have our orders, and it is time to do something. Going back to verse 41, Jesus says, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. For us, the hour has come for us to go and serve the Lord. In a few moments when we leave, we can do one of two things. We can either take what we've talked about this morning and just ignore it, or we can go out and just share the love of Christ with others. The work is hard, but it is rewarding. It's a work that has the stamp of Christ's approval, and he will see to it that it will succeed. Paul encourages us in Galatians 6, 9 and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. According to God's perfect timing, we will reap a reward. Don't give up on sharing the love of Jesus with someone because in due time, we will see the results of our works. Paul says in Philippians 1.6 that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
the work that the Lord has began in you, he will one day complete. One day, Lord willing, we will all hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And when we hear those words, we'll know that the work that we've done here on this earth was not in vain. But if we really want to hear those words, we need to wake up. We need to do something. We need to act as faithful servants of Christ and preach the true message of the gospel. We need to preach the things that the world may not want to hear because we hold the truth of what they really need to hear. We need to do something. And Charles Spurgeon, he said one last time, brethren, do something. While committees waste time over resolutions, do something. While societies and unions are making constitutions, let us win souls. Too often we discuss and discuss and discuss while Satan only laughs in his sleeve. Get to work and quit yourselves like men. I was uh, at my old church. I remember we spent eight months uh, discussing what kind of gravel, or not kind of gravel, what kind of grass, seed, and dirt we should put in the new playground. And I remember thinking the whole time, surely there's got to be more to, to witnessing than this. And so... <laughs> I just pray that we would get to work. If the devil's going to spend his remaining time prowling around like a lion, we should let him prowl around in disgust, seeing that we as the children of God are making a difference in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for exactly what we've read this morning, that we would wake up, that we would go out, and that we would see revival happen not because of our own doing, but because the Lord is faithful to his promise and we want to be awake to see him move. So let's pray together. God, we ask for revival. We ask for you to move in ways that we just cannot imagine. And we just, I just pray that everyone here has, has heard this and has decided that, yes, I want to be a part of that work. I want to be a part of of reaching the lost. I want to be a part of something that, that only God can do. Father, I know the work is hard, but you will see it through. Help us to be inspired by your love and your mercy that we see each and every day. And we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.